Section 4 of The Charwoman's Daughter by James Stevens, Chapters 7 and 8. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter 7. One morning, Mary Make-Believe jumped out of bed and lit the fire. For a wonder, it lit easily. The match was scarcely applied when the flames were leaping up the black chimney, and this made her feel at ease with the world. Her mother stayed in bed chatting with something more of gaiety than usual. It was nearly six o'clock, and the early summer sun was flooding against the grimy window. The previous evening's post had brought a postcard for Mrs. Make-Believe, requesting her to call on a Mrs. O'Connor, who had a house off Hardcourt Street. This, of course, meant a day's work. It also meant a new client. Mrs. Make-Believe's clients were always new. She could not remain for any length of time in people's employment without being troubled by the fact that these folk had houses of their own and were actually employing her in a menial capacity. She sometimes looked at their black silk aprons in a way which they never failed to observe with anger, and on their attempting, as they always termed it, to put her in her proper place, she would discuss their appearance and morals with such power that they at once dismissed her from their employment and incited their husbands to assault her. Mrs. Make-Believe's mind was exercised in finding out who had recommended her to this new lady, and in what terms of encomium such recommendation had been framed. She also debated as to whether it would be wise to ask for one shilling and nine pence per day, instead of the customary one shilling and sixpence. If the house was a big one, she might be required by this new customer oftener than once a week, and perhaps there were others in the house besides the lady who would find small jobs for her to do, needlework or messages or some such which would bring in a little extra money, for she professed her willingness and ability to undertake with success any form of work in which a woman could be eminent. In a house where she had worked, she had once been asked by a gentleman who lodged there to order in two dozen bottles of stout, and on returning with the stout, the gentleman had thanked her and given her a shilling. Incidents parallel to this had kept her faith in humanity green. There must be plenty of these open-handed gentlemen in houses such as she worked in, and perhaps in Mrs. O'Connor's house there might be more than one such person. There were stingy people enough, heaven knew, people who would get one to run messages and almost expect to be paid themselves for allowing one to work for them. Mrs. Make-Believe anathematized such skinflints with a vocabulary which was quite equal to the detailing of their misdeeds, but she refused to dwell on them. They were not really important in a world where the sun was shining. In the night-time she would again believe in their horrible existences, but until then the world must be peopled with kind-hearted folk. She instanced many whom she knew, people who had advanced services and effects, without exacting or indeed expecting any return. When the tea was balanced insecurely on the bed, the two teacups on one side of her legs, the three-quarters of a loaf, and the tin of condensed milk on the other, Mary sat down with great care, and all through the breakfast her mother culled from her capacious memory a list of kindnesses of which she had been the recipient or the witness. Mary supplemented the recital by incidents from her own observation. She had often seen a man in the street give a penny to an old woman— 
she had often seen old women give things to other old women she knew many people who never looked for the halfpenny change from a newsboy mrs make-believe applauded the justice of such transactions they were she admitted the things she would do herself if she were in a position to be careless but a person to whom the discovery of her daily bread is a daily problem and who can scarcely keep pace with the ever-changing terms of the problem is not in a position to be careless grind 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 said mrs make-believe that is life for me and if i cease to grind for an instant she flickered her thin hand into a nowhere of terror her attitude was that when one had enough one should give the residue to someone who had not enough it was her woe it stabbed her to the heart to see desolate people dragging through the streets standing to glare through the windows of bakeries and confectioners shops and little children in some of these helpless arms thinking of these she said that every morsel she ate would choke her were it not for her own hunger but maybe said she catching a providential glance of the golden tinted window maybe these poor people were not as poor as they seemed surely they had ways of collecting a living which other people did not know anything about it might be that they got lots of money from kind-hearted people and food at hospitable doors and here and there clothing and oddments which if they did not wear they knew how to dispose of advantageously what extremes of ways and means such people must be acquainted with no ditch was too low to rummage in no rat-hole too hidden to be ravaged a gate represented something to be climbed over an open door was an invitation a locked one a challenge they could dodge under the fences of the law and climb the barbed wire of morality with equal impunity and the utmost rigor of punishment had little terror for those whose hardships could scarcely be artificially worsened the stagger of despair the stricken helpless aspect of such people their gaunt faces and blurred eyes might conceivably be their stock in trade the keys wherewith they unlocked hearts and purses and area doors it must be so when the sun was shining and the birds were singing across fields not immeasurably distant and children in walled gardens romped among fruits and flowers she would believe this for it was early morning where one must believe but when the night-time came again she would laugh and scorn such easy beliefs she would see the lean ribs of humanity when she undressed herself chapter eight after her mother had gone, Mary Make-Believe occupied herself settling the room and performing the various offices which the keeping in order of even one small room involves. There were pieces of the wallpaper flapping loosely. These had to be gummed down with strips of stamped paper. The bed had to be made, the floor scrubbed, and a miscellany of objects patted and tapped into order her few dresses also had to be gone over for loose buttons and the darning of threadbare places was a duty exercising her constant attention her clothing was always made by her mother whose needle had once been noted for expertness and therefore fitted more accurately than is customary in young girls dresses the arranging and rearranging of her beads was a frequent and enjoyable labor she had four different necklaces representing four different pennyworths of beads purchased at a shop whose merchandise was sold for one penny per item 
one pennyworth of these beads was colored green another red a third was colored like pearls and the fourth was a miscellaneous packet of many colors a judicious selection of these beads could always provide a new and magnificent necklace at the expense of little more than a half hour's easy work because the sun was shining she brought out her white dress and for a time was busy on it there had been five tucks in the dress but one after one they had to be let out this was the last tuck that remained and it also had to go but even with such extra lengthening the dress would still swing free of her ankles her mother had promised to add a false hem to it when she got time and mary determined to remind her of this promise as soon as she came in from work she polished her shoes put on the white dress and then did up her hair in front of the cracked looking-glass she always put up her hair very plainly she first combed it down straight then parted it in the centre and rolled it into a great ball at the back of her neck she often wished to curl her hair and indeed it would have curled with the lightest persuasion but her mother being approached on the subject said that curls were common and were seldom worn by respectable people excepting very small children or actresses both of whose slender mentalities were registered by these tiny daintinesses also curls took up too much time in arranging and the slightest moisture in the air was liable to draw them down into lank and unsightly plasters and therefore saving for a dance or a picnic curls should not be used mary make-believe having arranged her hair hesitated for some time in the choice of a necklace there was the pearl-colored necklace it was very pretty but every one could tell at once that they were not genuine pearls real pearls of the bigness of these would be very valuable also there was something childish about pearls which latterly she wished to avoid she had quite grown up now the letting down of the last tuck in her dress marked an epoch as distinct as did the first rolling up of her hair she wished her dress would go right down to her heels so that she might have a valid reason for holding up her skirt with one hand she felt a trifle of impatience because her mother had delayed making the false hem she could have stitched it on herself if her mother had cut it out but for this day the dress would have to do she wished she owned a string of red coral not that round beady sort but the jagged criss-cross coral a string of these long enough to go twice round her neck and yet hang down in front to her waist if she owned a string as long as that she might be able to cut enough off to make a slender wristlet she would have loved to see such a wristlet sagging down to her hand red it seemed would have to be the color for this day so she took the red beads out of a box and put them on they looked very nice against the white dress but still she did not quite like them as they seemed too solid so she put them back into the box again and instead tied round her neck a narrow ribbon of black velvet which satisfied her better next she put on her hat it was of straw and had been washed many times there was a broad ribbon of black velvet around it she wished earnestly that she had a sash of black velvet about three inches deep to go around her waist there was such a piece about the hem of her mother's sunday skirt but of course that could not be touched maybe her mother would give it to her if she asked the skirt would look quite as well without it and when her mother knew how nice it looked around her waist she would certainly give it to her she gave a last look at herself in the glass and went out turning up to the quays in the direction of phoenix park 
the sun was shining gloriously and the streets seemed wonderfully clean in the sunlight the horses under the heavy drays pulled their loads as if they were not heavy the big red-faced drivers leaned back at ease with their hard hats pushed back from their foreheads and their eyes puckered at the sunshine the tram cars whizzed by like great jewels the outside cars went spanking down the broad road and every jolly-faced jarvey winked at her as he jolted by the people going up and down the street seemed contented and happy it was one o'clock and from all kinds of offices and shops young men and women were darting forth for their lunch none of the young men were so hurried but they had a moment to glance admiringly at mary make-believe before diving into a cheap restaurant or a cheaper public-house for their food the gulls in the river were flying in long lazy curves dipping down to the water skimming it an instant and then wheeling up again with easy slanting wings every few minutes a boat laden with barrels puffed swiftly from beneath a bridge all the boats had pretty names there was the shannon the seer the nor the lagon and many others the men on board sat contentedly on the barrels and smoked and made slow remarks to one another and overhead the sky was blue and wonderful immeasurably distant filled from horizon to horizon with sparkle and warmth Mary Make-Believe went slowly on towards the park. She felt very happy. Now and then a darker spot flitted through her mind, not at all obscuring, but toning the brightness of her thoughts to a realizable serenity. She wished her skirts were long enough to be held up languidly, like the lady walking in front. The hand holding up the skirt had a gold curb chain on the wrist, which drooped down to the neatly gloved hand, and between each link of the chain was set a blue turquoise, and upon this jewel the sun danced splendidly. Mary Make-Believe wished she had a slender red coral wristlet. It also would have hung down to her palm and been lovely in the sunlight, and it would, she thought, have been far nicer than the bangle. End of section 4